Hi, Hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushem and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushing and Dustin. Hey guys, Nick and Tyler here with Ringnecks and Retrievers. Today we have a special guest, Rachel Worth from Worth Woods Preserve up in Story City. Uh, I've hunted there a lot um, with diesel, had some great experiences. So we're just going to talk to her a little bit about today, uh, about her preserve and what they do to keep their, their birds great, their, their fields great. Um, and really they do a great job with their customers as well. Um, so we'll just kick it off and get right into the first question with Rachel here. Uh, you know, Rachel, how did you guys start, uh, getting into the preserve and how did that actually become an idea? Cause I know your dad worked for the city of story city and didn't really do that at first. So, um, how did that come about? Yeah. So thanks for having me on and yeah. I appreciate, um, you guys coming out to visit us. We, uh, kind of got into the preserve because we've always been into land conservation and creating habitats uh, to preserve the breed or the, um, I guess, the uh, birds and stuff like that. And so that's where the idea kind of came about. My dad put a lot of work into the land as far as planting and we have wetlands and woods. So we kind of have the whole kit and caboodle, I guess you'd say. Yeah, you know, uh, Tyler and I, we've hunted out there a couple yeah. of years ago and we did a God, I think we bought 120 birds. We had a bunch of guys. Yeah, it was um, a lot. And uh, what a time. I think we ended up getting like 80 of those birds. So it was, that was a pretty good numbers. It was good, and they flew well. Dogs yeah. worked hard. Uh, so it was really, really did, uh Rachel, did you guys work with like um, Pheasants Forever to determine like where to plant certain CRP land? Or do you know how your dad kind of did that? Yeah, so I know he went through some government-funded programs um, to put some of the pieces into different uh, CRP and also use some guidance from uh, some Pheasant Forever people as well. That's good. So with that being said, you guys have... uh, you guys have quite a few dogs now, and unfortunately, I know uh, last year when your dogs came down with, uh, I, I know you don't know exactly what, but you had to put that dog down, which is unfortunate. Sorry to hear that. What what kind of dogs are you guys running out there, and, and why do you choose those dogs? Yeah, so um, currently we run, our dog that we had to put down was an English pointer, and we have one other English pointer, so we kind of came into Nala our first English pointer through a rescue and she just became such a great dog for us. She ended up, I did a couple uh, field trials with her and she just was a phenomenal hunting dog. Her drive in the field was unlike anything I had ever seen. Mind you, you get the opposite of that too. They're nuts in the house. Like they, she was, Our first dog as an adult, I never had really pets growing up. My dad had coon dogs and actually um, 
would judge coon hunts over in Boone when he was younger. So we kind of grew up with coon dogs, but they were never pets. And so Nala was our first actual pet slash hunting dog, and she was wild and stubborn. She uh, was fun. She taught me, I would say, a lot about training dogs and the patients that comes with that. So um, actually got to that hunt really... over Nala uh, a few times. Um, yeah. And when I was out there one time, your dad needed me to help him guide, so I actually took mm-hmm. Nala with me and Diesel. And we guided for some boys in Louisiana. And Tyler, you've got to hunt over Nala too. Yep, I did uh, last year when we came out. I think it, did we come out opening day to do we a did. hunt? Is that what yeah, it was? We did yeah, we did opening day hunt. And uh, yeah, it got it got a little warm in the afternoon, so your dad brought out Nala, and and she did did really well. Yeah, she was what we know from some like hard running English corner field lines. Yeah. And uh, really meant for people that are going to be doing testing and stuff. But we obviously adapted her to guiding. And I think she really loved her job for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those dogs, you definitely got to have a job when they come from that line. Otherwise, they'll probably tear up your house more than if they didn't. Yeah, everyone, they are great dogs. Everyone would ask me how we were able to like have them as pets because they are just so wild. And the key was just good training and exercise. I mean, they don't want to be bad. They want to behave for you. So as long as they're getting adequate exercise, that's yep. just key. They, they just want to work. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. And you also have another dog, uh, Petrie. And then the other one is Marvin. Is that right? Alvin. So Alvin. Yeah, so Alvin. So Alvin we have... Yep, exactly. So yeah, currently we have three dogs who are hunting or are in hunting. So I have my two dogs, Briar, and she's also an English pointer. So I guide her. And then Petrie is a poodle pointer that I got three years ago. And I kind of got into that breed because I was really loving the hard hunting of the English pointer. But kind of looking for something more watered down for in the house because they are part of my family and you know I take them everywhere from camping to horseback riding as well as guiding and hunting so I like to have you know the ability to do that and so that's how I came across the poodle pointer I actually was doing some research and they when they were developing the breed it goes back to an English pointer in a hunting line of poodle And they were developed in uh, Europe and really the standards over there are so much higher than they are here for breeding. And, you know, they try and really just better the breed and went about creating this breed. And so I got really curious and started calling around and it was actually like a, I want to say like a six to eight month process for me to like be vetted and actually like get Oh wow! On a, on a list. Awesome well, I know they're yeah. they're pretty they're pretty rare. I do know mm-hmm. that, and I actually got to hunt over Petrie once. Do you remember my wife and I did with you? Absolutely, yeah. That we, was uh, fun. She wasn't even a year, was she? No. So uh, we, I can remember Bree and I, my wife and I went out and we hunted. We got done with our hunt, and your dad said that some guy hunted over here and got one bird and was pissed, and he had like <laughs> twelve out there. 
And he just said, if you guys want to go, so you, me, and my wife all went out there, and I'm pretty sure we got nine birds. He gave us he gave us 30 minutes. <laughs> and uh, Diesel and Petrie were doing work, and we ended up getting, yeah, I think it was nine birds, if I can remember correctly. That's awesome. Yeah. She has been super fun. So I ended up getting her from Pennsylvania oh, wow. and had her ship, shipped here. Yeah. So Ilon breeders, they're great uh, family-owned breeders who just are really into bettering the breed all of their dogs have been tested in navda so uh for those that don't know and may be listening uh can you go over navda just a little bit yeah so navda is the hunting it's a versatile testing system is basically what it is and i don't know what breeds all require you to test it but the reason I got into NAVDA was because my breeder actually kind of strongly recommended slash required I test Petrie to a certain level in NAVDA and they really don't want you breeding them without certain test scores yeah yep yep so I actually kind of have the same thing with Diesel I, he's uh, titled in HRC hunting retriever yeah. club so he has a title there. I have not breeded him. Uh, probably won't anymore now that uh, I have a kid and stuff. But yeah, no. That's pretty it's awesome. A, it's, a, it's a good thing to strive for and a good thing to work for, and it really helps with obedience. I'm sure you're seeing Petrie now. She's You said she's three? Or he's yeah. Three. Um, they're going to be coming into his prime where you're really starting yeah. to know like he just doesn't miss that beat. Yeah, she uh, is really – Gosh, she's maturing so well. I have nothing but good things to say about the breed. Everything that was advertised to me is exactly what she is. She's a versatile dog, so they also um, advertise them as really good duck hunting dogs. Oh, yeah. Perfect. And, yeah, when you test in NAVDA, you have to do some water, um, like natural ability and level tests in so that's kind of fun too to see that side of her and she yeah. definitely loves the water. That's awesome. Do you uh so with this Nabdo, is there stuff that you're training on now for I know with everything going on um with the COVID, I don't know if you know we're gonna have tests, but what is the stuff that you're doing now with your dogs to prepare them to get those certificates and those titles? Yeah, absolutely. So she um I kind of fell behind the curve a little bit on force fetching her. So I have been really hammering the force fetching probably for the past couple months. And I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. It's been challenging for me as a trainer. I've never had to force fetch a dog because my dogs have just been natural retrievers and wanted, wanted to do that for me. So this is my first dog that I've fully force fetched on my own. And scary. Oh, it's not fun. Yeah. I'm like afraid I'm going to ruin her. Um, and for those that are listening, force fetch, you're basically saying that your dog is going to pick up whatever you say. So like diesel is force fetched. If I tell him to pick up my cell phone, he will pick up my cell phone. That's what force fetch means. It's guaranteed that they're going to hold that, that item or that bird in their mouth um, and bring it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Which so It's huge for... I mean, if you have a live bird that has been hit, you know, that way they aren't dropping it on the way back. It takes off running again or in duck hunting situation, they bring it out of the water 
can hear you and a lot of dogs especially younger dogs if they're not force fetched when they bring it out of the water they'll drop it and shake off and then may not pick the duck back up yep yeah so how's that going rachel or, or i guess what are your challenges with that that you're finding yeah absolutely so <clears throat> i took a slower approach just because of my novice and petrie's you know she was just getting kind of frustrated and scared with what i was trying to do and so um i think we passed a hump with <laughs> i don't even know where to start it's just been a it's been a challenge i'm not gonna lie absolutely but, absolutely it is and you know and it, dogs will throw you for that loop and then they'll revert back to old habits too so you know. uh, uh that's the toughest part with dog training is to keep the obedience and keep that going um yeah to make sure that they make, don't revert yeah and the equal amounts of fun i think are key uh this will be my, you know, third dog that I've trained and which is very few, honestly, in the scheme of things. And, and then I'm training my parents' dog, which we mentioned earlier, Alvin. Yep. Um, and so it's been fun to learn across the different breeds, what different dogs can handle, which I think trainers need to acknowledge is that different dogs can handle different amounts of pressure. Oh yeah. Diesel, you, you, he took a lot of pressure, a lot yeah. of it. He was he's he was very bullheaded. Yeah, yeah. Nala was exactly the same way, but Petrie I can't handle that much pressure. Yep. She will. Yep. Just yeah. Just my goldens are they? Lola, she's like I even touch her ear to start doing the force, and she's jumping at it. You know, <laughs> she's or I pull the box out, and she's like I'm not going up there you know so like yeah but and with the uh, go ahead Tyler no go ahead. I was gonna say with your with your dogs we've talked a lot about them um obviously you do a lot of this training for your guide service that you guys provide um can you bring us into that of what your guys's expectation is as a guide and as of your dogs and then what your expectation is and maybe a rundown that you give hunters when they come out to keep your dog safe and also to keep everybody else safe on your preserve yeah absolutely so um i am fairly new to guiding i've only been guiding since 2014 and that maybe even, yeah, somewhere around 2014. And I think the key to any hunter is we've put tons of work into our dogs. So the safe dog safety yeah. for me is probably first. We agree. Yeah. We agree. A huge there's thing. N- there's no amount of money that can replace what you've invested in them. And so that's just something I try and push right away. And then obviously, um, just people's safety as well, knowing where your other hunters are. I really try and push that everyone kind of stay in a line and even with each other, which I think is just a safe practice for anyone hunting, not even people that are guiding. Yeah. Yeah. And I try and walk down the middle of the group 
So my dogs are trained to work, which uh, 45 degree angles across the span of the group. And with me in the middle, I can kind of control if they veer out a little bit because with <clears throat> preserve hunting, we've planted a lot of birds. So they may smell other birds in another section and try and move over there. So key for me is just the oh, obedience yeah. from the dog that we're working this section now. Mm-hmm. And we'll get over there next, but you need to stay over here and work in front of the clients. Yep. And when, so when did you really start your preserve? Was it 2014? 13. 2013. 13. Cause I know yeah. my wife and I moved to Des Moines. Was it 2016? I think. And that's when I found you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I've got to hunt with you guys and yeah, the dogs are, the dogs are great. So if anybody's looking to get out there and get a good hunt in and kind of understand what bird hunting is about, if you haven't done it, go out there and give it a try. I mean, I know Rachel and uh, uh, Jeff are going to take care of you guys. They're going to put you in the right positions. They're going to make sure you're successful. And that's what it's all about, really. Yeah, um, yeah. You brought up something. Go ahead, Nick. No, I was just going to say go, on, go, your, go, go, on your guys preserve, how many, uh, you know, you started in 2014, he said, do you know how many birds you guys are potentially or releasing each year? Or, um... Yeah, so to be a licensed hunting preserve, you have to legally release 500 birds a year. Okay. And we, we're well over that. I don't think we've ever had any issues um, with that. I mean, I I'm think... I'm pretty sure I had 500 birds released myself there a few years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys do like uh you do minimum limits that people have to purchase when they come out to hunt and they do is there probably not a maximum obviously but what's your guys you like yeah. a, mix, a mixed bag you can do right you have quail as well yep yeah, so we primarily raise pheasants and quail in the past we've dabbled with chucker and i think as we mature as a preserve we may go back to some of that it's just when we offer birds we want them to be the best quality possible so if you get if you're new to raising birds which I would say we still fairly are because we've only been raising birds for you know like seven years ish around there um you just really want to make sure what you're raising is quality and I think pheasants and quail we kind of have it nailed as far as that goes and we're Uh, learning yeah yeah i mean the birds have flown great at your preserve from day one since i've been there yeah Um, and there's good looking birds yeah and i've been to tyler and i have been to several preserves together and still to this day they're they're you know my favorite flying bird i would say out of all the preserves i've been to well thanks we definitely appreciate that we have um definitely done some homework my dad has a mentor who gives him advice on birds and how many you can have you know space capacity wise in an area we've worked to really improve them by building flight pens Um, one of my personal friends is a poultry nutritionist so she's given us some guidance as far as like feeding and proper levels of 
protein and how to get the best, strongest flying birds. So she's really helped us. I would say a lot of people don't have that benefit. No, (laughs) I've never even heard of a poultry nutritionist. I haven't either. (laughs) That's pretty good. She probably went to Iowa State, huh? Yeah, she did. (laughs) Not surprised. (laughs) They got all that stuff up there. That's awesome, though. That's a good hookup to have. You know, it was, it is for sure. She's definitely guided us. So one year our quail got a little fat and <laughs> we didn't even know that could be an issue, but they got a little sedentary and weren't flying as well. And so he talked to his mentor and I talked to my friend and I was like, Hey, this is what's happening. And she's like, your birds are too fat. You need to put them on a diet. <laughs> so so I think a lot of people don't, don't think about, you know, the back end of things and all all the work and homework that we do to try and create the best experience possible. Yeah. That's really cool. It it is really cool. You know, so, and you guys, so I know in years past you were purchasing birds and then uh, when we were just chatting before hopping on here, you said that you guys are going to hatch your own birds this year. So tell me about that experience. Yeah, so my dad has always um, kind of dabbled in that, not necessarily in pheasants, but chickens and whatnot. But this year with the coronavirus, we got stuck with a bunch of hens um, at the end of the season, which we normally would have sold to other preserves or, um, you know, we have a couple buyers that are usually willing to pick up what we have left over. So this year we're actually hatching our own pheasants and quail which is um an adventure in itself I guess (laughs) yeah you said 150 eggs a day yeah that's about what we're getting um so it just it kind of takes an army because you have to make sure I don't I can't attest to like all the little details of this because that's more my dad's field but you know even a half of degree or a couple of degrees off in your incubators can kill a whole batch of eggs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty and, precise. And so, yeah, you need to be kind of precise and get your temperature right. And then, yeah, we have little trays. You have to set them all in. I'm sure you guys have seen pictures or whatever. But, yeah, so we're going to give that a whirl. And we have hatched some of our own in the past, but primarily – we will buy chicks or buy eggs and incubate when we've done them in the past. So we haven't done the whole rundown Do you know how many of it. Birds you project to have out of this? Uh, I would just be taking a random guess, but if I would say at least a few thousand. Oh wow! How many do you usually bring in? If you were to buy them, what do you guys project? Yeah, I think my dad usually, I think we usually have around 3,000, but again, that's his field, not mine. So we usually, um, we have a few connections out of state that we've been selling to. And um, yeah, so we've actually been providing some birds to other preserves and stuff like that. Pretty neat. Do you, uh, when do you expect your first birds in the incubator, do you know when they're going to start hatching potentially or have any of them hatched yet? None of them have hatched yet. So I don't know 
actually how long it takes to incubate an egg. <laughs> I would say, I don't know, Memorial Day probably. Because nice. they have to be old enough in the fall for hunting. So yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that'll be, that's pretty cool. That'll be a, a nice experience. It'll be kind of cool too. You guys will be able to release your own birds that you guys have raised and so that'll be a pretty neat experience. Yeah. Um, you know, Rachel, uh, probably one final question we have for you. We know it's Sunday and you've been gracious enough to get up and, and help us out and uh, help us with our podcast and get some information out to people. What is the thing you enjoy most about the preserve? And I let's mean, do what's one thing, what's one thing you can you enjoy most about the preserve? And what's one thing that you tell people to take away from either this or to take away that about hunting at a preserve? Yeah, the the answer to that is fairly easy. It's the people you meet. I mean, we've met some of the coolest people from all over I appreciate the United that. States. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially you guys. <laughs> no. No, I mean, the people we meet, um, for the most part, are so great, and um, we just love it. We are, my dad and I are both kind of just love hosting people and love creating a great experience for people. So for me, honestly, when I started, it was to see my dogs work. That was like the biggest rewarding factor, but now it's kind of shifted in that, yeah, I mean, I think my dogs are pretty awesome, but <laughs> the people as that you should, come out, as you should. Yeah, I mean, the people that come out and then they just have a great time. It's the smart, the the first birds shot, the smiling at the end, the you know camaraderie of even cleaning the birds at the end. We just love it all. We love meeting everyone and having everyone out. Yeah, you know, when we came out there and did that big hunt of 120 birds, I will say that not only did you guys accommodate us perfectly, but your your dad pulled up, uh, I was his grill, I believe, or smoker. Yeah, pulled that up, was awesome. Uh, something, had it there, cooked us hamburgers, um, and we just had a ball. And then, you know, we drank, drank some drank beer, beer and, afterwards, and, yeah talk some hunting stories and it was it was a great experience and yeah you guys are great hosts yeah. and that's what it's all like when you go to a preserve and that's what i really liked about you guys is it felt you can get a group together and have a good time you could have you have a fun hunt but then it's not like you guys are just kicking us out at the end you know you, you had let us stay like i said we had lunch we had a couple beers talk to him we all got to hang out and, you know, you made it like a memorable experience, which I think is huge for uh, you guys. And is, I'm very thankful for that when we come out there. Yeah. He would love that you guys, you know, that's his goal and our goal. I think, you know, we aren't striving to be a huge, like some of these other preserves, around the area. That's not our goal. Our goal, we're family owned. We put yeah. out our own birds. We raise, raise our own birds. You know, we train our own guide dogs. We're just trying to provide an authentic experience. And 
make sure everyone has fun and is as happy. That's and like I, the goal. I, I so. think that's what I love most about it is you guys are all intertwined and you know that it's a family and the experience is great and you know that you care. I mean, I've been to some places where you come back and it's like, oh, how many did you get? And that's all they ask you and they don't yeah. really care. Like, you know, I've had it where I come there and if I haven't got into birds, you know, your dad will say, well, you better go over here and check this side of the field or go here, you know, maybe you just didn't go to where I planted them. So to have those types of interactions and actually know that you care that my experience is great and, you know, everybody else that's coming is great. It's second to none, honestly. Yeah. And Rachel, with that, we'll, we'll let you get off. But, you know, hey, guys, go out to Worthwoods Preserve, Story City, Iowa. Uh, great things there. Rachel will guide for you if you don't have a guide dog. And sometimes they ask me to guide if Rachel can't do it. So, you know, who knows what could happen. But thank you very much, Rachel. And you have a fantastic weekend. And hopefully next time, maybe we can pull your dad on. And uh, maybe we'll do like a hunter's happy hour because I know he likes to drink some beer. <laughs> Absolutely. He would love that. So thanks for having me. All right. Guys. Thanks, Rachel. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.